Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and I know a skull fucker when I see one. So Josh, knock it (laughs) off already, huh? Oh, man, you don't know what I'm doing over here, do you? Uh, So in this special 10th retrospective season of Awesome Movie Year, each episode we are taking a look at a different year that we have covered in past seasons. And in this episode, we are returning to 2007, and it is my personal pick episode, so I have picked Smiley Face, the stoner comedy from Greg Araki, which uh, in a year, uh, as we talked about when we did our season on 2007, a year that is often held up as one of the greatest years for film in the past few decades, even, this is probably not one of the most notable <laughs> movies from that year, but I love it. And, so, and a stoner comedy. I, I mean, Dave didn't pick it. Josh picked it. What is going on here today? Yeah, uh, right. Crazy. Well, you know, the truth is, although, you know, I don't uh, partake, I love stoner comedies when I because I feel like they can be done really. And I think this movie is and maybe you guys will not agree with me, but in a in a sort of dumb, smart way that the idiocy and the sort of weird logic of stoners can be a really clever, funny way to bring in absurdism and commentary uh, in a way that another kind of comedy wouldn't. So, I mean, I I enjoy the Harold and Kumar movies, which I'm sure we'll uh, give at least one more mention to later on. And... uh, And kind of stoner adjacent things like the Bill and Ted movies where maybe or Wayne and Garth, you know, the Wayne's World movies where maybe the characters aren't getting stoned on camera, but, you know, they're getting stoned right when the cameras are off. So, you know, it's interesting because I don't, you know, like I bring up Super Troopers a lot, which uh, you don't like. And that's a super stoner adjacent comedy. Right. And that's that's true. Yeah. The first one I didn't mind. The second one is quite bad, I think. uh, uh, I mean, you know, I'm really talking about the first one. I didn't mind the second one. But yeah, I didn't know you were. I mean, I, I know you like Wayne's World. I'd never really thought of you as a stoner comedy aficionado, though, I must admit. Hey, let me ask before we start, does Dazed and Confused count as a stoner comedy? It's literally called Dazed and Confused, right? Yeah, it could. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a wide range. I, uh, for many years, wrote for a cannabis publication about uh, cannabis-related pop culture. So I ended up seeing a lot of stoner movies because of that. And there are a lot of very bad ones. I will say that saying that I enjoy them doesn't mean that I enjoy all of them because it's very easy to make a very bad right. stoner comedy. <laughs> But I think when done right, uh, it can be really enjoyable. And I think this is one of the best, if not the best, stoner comedy. Well, Josh, before we go any further, since you have such a long history of covering them, do you have any other underrated gems like this that we might not know about that you want to recommend? Yeah, you know what? I will say there are a few. I, I enjoy the Reefer Madness musical with uh, Kristen Bell and uh, Alan Cumming, Anna Gasteyer, which is a a fun, goofy take on, of course, the classic, um, you know, or pseudo-classic anti-marijuana movie from the 1930s. I think you, Jason, also enjoy uh, The Wackness, 
Great. Right? It's a great movie. I love that movie. Yeah. 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 That's a really good one with uh with Josh Peck. And you mentioned Dazed and Confused. I also like uh Everybody Wants Some, the Richard Linklater kind of spiritual sequel to that, that I think also qualifies as a uh, stoner movie. Not as good. But how about good. how about Never Going Back, which we covered on Piecing It Together? Absolutely, never going back. And that's uh, you know, something I might have uh, brought up as clearly influenced here by Smiley Face, which I probably mentioned yep. when we did an episode on on that. But yeah, I, I really like that movie a lot from just a few years ago. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of clever ways to use stoner characters to tell a fun uh, comedy story that uh, is maybe smarter than it initially appears, I think. Well, you're the expert, so let's... <laughs> Apparently, I've decided to be, or we've all decided that I'm now the expert on this. Well, what do you got for us today, Josh? What, well, let's see. The strain that I have for you today <laughs> is it's called, called smiley, smiley Face, man. Yeah. <laughs> so Smiley Face, despite my affection for it, was a huge failure when it was released in 2007, or should I say barely released in 2007. Uh, it did premiere at the 2007 Sundance Film Festival, which makes sense because uh, Greg Araki, the director, this was his follow-up to Mysterious Skin, which was a highly acclaimed, award-winning, award-nominated, serious drama with Joseph Gordon-Levitt that was a big breakout role for him as well. And even prior to that, Greg Araki had been uh, a very uh, successful independent filmmaker, really influential in the new queer cinema movement in the 90s. So I'm sure he'd played Sundance multiple times before, but this movie is a big departure for him in a lot of ways. So despite premiering at Sundance, it uh, was released, what I had initially read was that it was released only in a single theater in LA and never elsewhere, but it was clearly also released in New York based on the uh, reviews that I found. But it didn't ever get a release beyond at least those two cities, it sounds like. It grossed $179,000 worldwide, uh, and only $9,400 of that was in the US. So really uh, a, big old, uh, a big old failure there. Um, I mean, it's tough to be a success if you don't get a release, you know? Well, right. And I don't know exactly the details of why that happened. You know, it may be a distributor that picked it up from Sundance, didn't know what to do with it. But yeah, it seems like this is a movie that really didn't even have the potential to reach an audience until later on on video. And I think another thing about stoner comedies is that they do better when people can watch them at home. Yeah. And get stoned. I mean, look, it didn't, uh, it's no Boondock Saints. But uh, <laughs> what, but what is? <laughs> there you go. That's a movie where you really need to be stoned in order to uh, endure it. Um, we don't need to rehash Boondock Saints. But uh, <laughs> Anna Ferris, star of this film, did win the Stoner of the Year Award at the High Times Stony Awards in 2007. So you know that's an achievement. Did you right vote? There. Did you vote for that one? Being the uh, <laughs> Stoner mu movie critic, uh, you know. Uh, uh, impresario shall we say oh impresario <laughs> a word that you now know how to spell um, <laughs> i did not vote for those awards uh nor have i ever although i you know i'd vote for that uh i don't know if it still exists i have not written for high times i wrote uh only for a lesser known local publication uh about uh about stoner culture <laughs> um <laughs> this is also uh greg Araki's only film that he directed but did not write uh, the screenplay instead by Dylan Haggerty and possibly another one of the reasons why this movie doesn't really resemble his other films a whole lot. 
reviews were mixed and uh, also not uh, numerous given the limited release here. But uh, some critics were into it, and I feel like this is another movie that's grown in reputation. But um, Matt Zoller cites in the New York Times was a fan and had a take that I'm not sure I quite uh, get. He said, smiley face about a pot-addled would-be actress stumbling through a long, weird day in Los Angeles is a contradiction in terms, a stoner comedy with a purpose. Despite its laid-back script, Smiley Face is as prankishly political as Mr. Araki's Doom Generation, evincing a deep unease with the media-saturated capitalist nation that Jane crawls inside her bong to escape. The film's title is drawn from a scene in which Jane envisions the sun as a smiley face. The implication is subtle but clear. Americans fancy themselves free-willed strivers who live in the best of all possible worlds, but they're really sentient vegetables, rooted in comfort and nourished by manufactured images of bliss. Talk about a skull fucker. Uh, what a dick this guy is. Can it, can, I don't know. Can it just be a fun stoner comedy and that's it, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. Like, I love this movie, but I feel like he's really stretching to make this uh, that political. Yeah, it's definitely not that political. Uh, there was other stuff I disagreed with, but I mean, there was so many things that I disagreed with in this, in this thing that I can't even go back to the beginning of it. Jesus, man, he makes me feel stoned and like, what a horrible review, no matter how you feel about it, at least be accurate, you know? Yeah. Uh, to be fair, I, other parts of this that I, uh, did not quote, I think had some factual errors as well about the plot or the the characters. So maybe he was stoned while watching it, which would not Possible. be inappropriate. The Doom Generation was part of the Teenage Apocalypse trilogy. Totally fucked up the Doom Generation. Nowhere. Those were kind of the ones that I, I knew him from, put him on the map. But I've never seen, I've seen parts of the Doom Generation because it always used to run on cable. But I've never seen those movies. Have you? I have seen the Doom Generation. and. I think I've seen totally fucked up also. And I wasn't really into those movies. That's another thing that's it's weird to me that I love this movie so much because in general, I'm not a particular fan of Greg Araki's work. Um, yeah, this is a total outlier for you, man. It, it is. I mean, you know, I, my enjoyment of stoner comedies, but, but yeah, in terms of his work, but I think the thing is that, that this is an outlier for him as well. And maybe another reason why this movie wasn't very successful is that people who were fans of his work came to this and said, what the hell is this? Like, this isn't what we expect from him. Um, Nathan Lee in The Village Voice was not one of those people. He loved this movie and related it to Iraqi's other films. He said, I can say with some authority that Dylan Haggerty has written an 11th hour candidate for the funniest movie of 2007 that Greg Araki has directed his finest film since 1997's Nowhere, and that Anna Ferris, flawless, rocks their inspired idiot odyssey in a virtuoso comedic turn. Araki keeps his screwball rolling with a freewheeling touch, bouncing with ease from goofball monologue to manic slapstick to dusted interludes of unconsciousness and hallucination. Haggerty writes the smartest kind of dumb comedy. His fuzzy nuggets of Marxist mumbo-jumbo neatly acknowledge the countercultural pretensions and random acts of thinking that accompany a monumental pot binge. And that to me was more of how I took 
the supposed political content, that it's all part of her sort of hazy uh, mental state. And that includes having these uh, not entirely coherent insights about the state of the world. Anna Ferris is great. And she's always been a great comedic actress. Best comedy of 2007, Josh. Uh, you got knocked up. You got super bad. You're telling me this is a funnier movie than super bad. I'll pass on that. Uh, hot Rod. I always like Hot Rod. If you want to count Ratatouille, you can do that. And of course, Wild Hogs. No, I'm just kidding about the last <laughs> one. But it's definitely not funnier than Super Bad and Knocked Up. Hot Fuzz. Come on, man. You know, get with it. How about the 10, guys? Oh, how about <laughs> not that? Um, yeah, but my examples were good. Yeah, yeah, your examples are good. And certainly, like in, in the general consensus, those movies uh, are much more. Uh, acclaimed and popular. I personally do find this funnier than those movies and enjoy it more than them, but not to say that I don't enjoy those movies. I mean, we talked about Superbad in a whole episode and uh, and I enjoyed that. But I like, honestly, this was the third time for me seeing this movie and I still laughed like throughout. So I I would probably say for me, this is the funniest movie of 2007. Well, you're just um, uh, you're just as bad as that guy who wrote that thing. I am <laughs> just as bad as this well-respected film critic for The Village Voice. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, The Village Voice. I've heard of that. Do you want to tell us about your local marijuana-based publication that doesn't exist anymore that you wrote for? <laughs> to be fair, The Village Voice also doesn't exist anymore. That is fair. So. <laughs> uh, John DeFore in The Hollywood Reporter was not a fan of this film. He said, in a big shift from Iraqi's icky, mysterious skin, the picture hasn't a shred of interest in probing psyches or social ills. A pure, mostly dumb comedy, it's the tale of one impossibly out-of-it girl, Anna Ferris's Jane F., who spends her day stumbling from mishap to mishap in an effort to avoid her drug dealer's wrath. She encounters a string of familiar faces along the way, but few stick around long enough to take any weight off Ferris, whose performance relies heavily on a hanging open mouth, droop-lidded eyes, and long periods of dumbstruck silence. Some viewers will embrace this textbook caricature. For others, it will make the film's 87 minutes feel like hours. And... Even if you don't like this movie, I feel like you have to give Anna Ferris credit for the performance here. Yeah, she's very she's good. I mean, she's she was always a very good comedy actress when she was kind of like one of the big names in that field and, you know, I guess now she's, you know, Mom was the last thing I remember her in and she's moved away from film into more of that sitcomy stuff, but we always know she can pull off comedy and she's she does a great stoner you know, like you said, Harold and Kumar, dude, where's my car? All that stuff. She fits right in with that. She does. I feel like there's, it's an even greater, like, honestly, I would have nominated her for an Oscar for this movie. That has how great I think her performance Josh, is. you're insane today. What is happening here? <laughs> I picked a movie that I really like for us to talk about. That's what's happening. I just want to add, this was right in the middle of a pretty big run for her. I mean, at the end of the scary movies, but like, a lot of comedies and cult classics and all that. Yeah, and bigger. I mean, obviously, the scary movie series were very successful, and this movie was not. Sure. Um, so, you know, she had that mainstream comedy presence here when she made this more, uh, you know, indie indie comedy film. So, yeah, 
Jason, I'm assuming you had not seen this no, movie No, wait a second. Let me just say, here is who was nominated for the Oscars for Best Actress of this year, okay? <laughs> okay. So yeah. this is who you want to take out. You want to take out Marianne Cotillard for Le Vie Rose. She won. Yeah. Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth to The Golden Age. Oh, yeah. Julie Christie. That's not a good movie. Julie Christie away from her. Laura Linney, The Savages. Or... Elliot Page is Ellen Page and Juno. So which one are you taking out? I will take out Kate Blanchett, who is great, but that movie is not good. All right. Good enough. So, See? Fair. Easy. Easy. You, you really thought you were it. challenging me, yeah. but you were wrong. Yeah, you're really all in on this. I have seen this based on your recommendation. Oh. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So did I uh, see, I, I didn't recall. Did you like it when I recommended it to you before? I thought it was mediocre and I didn't understand your obsession with it. And today I think it's mediocre and I don't understand your obsession with it. All right. Well, at least your opinion hasn't uh, gotten worse. <laughs> so. I mean, I gave it, I gave it another chance and it's still just like, uh, I don't, I, you said you were laughing the whole time. I'm like, at what? I will say, to be fair, I forgot that you had seen this before. And this is certainly a movie that if you don't like it the first time, you will not like it <laughs> seeing it a second time. I just think it's uh, it's such a like, I mean, you could have when we were developing this season, right? We had all these years to choose from. We had all these different types of movies. And th this was the one where like, I'm taking this. This is my personal pick. You're staking your claim for smiley face, Josh. I love this. And you know, I mean, and this has happened to both of us. I think sometimes we do these picks and it's like, oh, I liked that movie when I saw it, but maybe I haven't seen it since the year that we're talking about and hopefully it'll hold up. And sometimes it's like, ah, maybe I didn't like this quite as much. And I had seen this more recently than 2007, but I still was like, I hope this will work. And I just loved it even more this time, I think. Well, honestly. you're right. It still holds up as mediocre. All right. Dave, did you see this one before? I actually had never seen it. No. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I don't know how it kind of got away from me, you know, but uh, yeah, I didn't like it as much as you, Josh, but it's it's fun, though. It, it's it's definitely an accurate depiction of eating edibles. Let's put it that way. Yeah. It seems like the kind of movie that Dave would, as Jason was saying before, that Dave would be more into maybe than I would. Be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Jason, any more you want to mention on the background of you not liking this movie? Uh, no, I, I mean, the it's it's interesting because it still played like it had like a big premiere, like or it played at the London Lesbian and Gay Festival. Right. Which I think is more based. I mean, there's nothing sexually in this movie that would take it that way. But it's Iraqi, you know, as right. like a new queer director, like you said. The other thing was I thought that was interesting is Dylan Haggerty wrote this script. It was stuck in an option. Iraqi had read it. And then five years later, the option came up and then he bought it to make. So this thing had just been kind of toiling. And uh, this is it. This is Dylan Haggerty's only real credit as far as I could tell. Yeah, well, I mean, again, given the non-success of this movie, it's not surprising that it didn't launch his career into a, another level. Uh, especially after it took all that time where people were reluctant to make it, uh, apparently. Well, that's where but. I would dispute with you where you had said that it has like gained in status over the years. I don't think it has. I think it's it's always been one of those where like some people are like, yeah, it's fine. Other people love it. But I don't I mean, this is not one of those where it's like 
a hot fuzz per se, where it's like total or super bad, where it's blown up. Super bad was popular anyway, but you well, know, and hot mean. fuzz was too. Yeah, I mean, it's I wouldn't say it's at the level of those movies either initially or now, but super I, troopers. Or, yeah, super troopers would be a better example, and it's not as popular as super troopers. But I definitely saw this not in two thousand seven, some number of years later. Because I had read, you know, critical assessments of it and that this was an underrated comedy or, uh, you know, stoner movie worth seeing. So I think it does have a reputation that has grown. But you're right, not to the level of something like Super Troopers. If they made Smiley Face 2 now, no one would contribute to that crowdfunding (laughs) campaign. Except you. (laughs) Except Um, me. I would. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dave, remember when we did um, uh, Blair Witch and you were like telling us how you remembered or misremembered like the lore of the Blair Witch from before seeing this movie and whatever. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel because I feel like this is one of those that I remember on the blockbuster wall and that's where I got it from. But that's clearly not true because this came out in 2007. So that was long after my time at blockbuster. And I think maybe blockbuster didn't even exist then. I don't remember, but, uh, so yeah, man, my mind is fried. All right. Well, we'll come back then in a moment and talk about our general thoughts on Smiley Face. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our special retrospective season, we are returning to 2007 for another personal pick from me, and it is the stoner comedy Smiley Face which I love. And as we've already established, Jason is baffled by my love for it. So uh, Jason, do you, do you have anything? What, what did you like about this, if anything? Yeah, no. Okay. As I said, I liked Anna Ferris, right? I like John Krasinski. I think out of the supporting players, he's the best. And, you know, it's also fun to see John Cho, who we know from Harold and Kumar, and who's really blown up into one of the great actors around today. Um, other than that, like uh, Marion Ross from Happy Days, that's fun, right? I guess. But yeah. like, you know, it didn't. It, the thing is, it wouldn't matter to me if it had all these like cool young actors or not. If the humor worked for me, then I'd have been like, great. But I just think like it's one long joke over and over again. And it didn't really work for me. I didn't. I don't think I laughed once. Wow. Okay. I, I I mean, I'm with you on all the the supporting players that it's fun to see and some that I had forgotten were in this, like Jim Rash and uh, Brian Posehn, who plays the bus driver and people who just show up and have like three lines or something. But it's fun to see like, oh, hey, there's that person. And they're, I they're mean, let amusing. me stop you there for a quick second. Jim Rash, Brian Posehn, do they add anything? Could it have been could those characters have been anyone? Well, right. That was what I was saying is that they only have a few lines, but it's still fun to see those actors. And I mean, they do more maybe than uh, nobody would do. But no, those aren't parts where there's really a lot for an actor to dig into, you know, but it's still fun to see, especially someone like Brian Posehn or like Dave Gruber Allen at the end who are known for being, you know, part of stoner culture and, you know, nice to put them in here. But no, it's not my number one uh thing that I enjoy about this film. I just was agreeing with your uh, contribution there. Um, I mean, and as we've talked about with so many comedies, especially a lot of Dave's picks that we end up being less enthused about. Hey, don't put this on Dave. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not putting, I'm, what I'm just saying is that, you know, with comedy, it's, I can't argue, I can't tell you 
that, you know, you're wrong and you did laugh or whatever. And you can't tell me the opposite that I didn't. You know, that's something that's just, uh, it's it's not a, you know, you can't really have a critical argument about it. To me, the humor in this movie is effective. A lot of it comes from Anna Ferris's performance where even if there's not a specific joke, just the way that she delivers lines and her facial expressions to me is hilarious. And I'm laughing throughout. And the supporting players who have more to do than Brian Posehn or Jim Rash, like uh, John Krasinski, as you said, or uh, Adam Brody. Um, I am amused by their performances. What amused you about Adam Brody's performance, who we know is I, adept at comedy? There was nothing there. I mean, I just I love that character who is so convinced, the drug dealer character who is so convinced that Reaganomics is the way yeah. to explain his uh, his business model for selling drugs that makes no sense whatsoever. And, uh, you know, just his his conviction in that I thought was funny. And then that's another, uh, a very amusing moment where she is, you know, sort of semi-lucid randomly and explaining to him about, uh, you know, economic theory and whatever. And, and the runner, the joke here that she is like an economics major from college and has this knowledge sort of like buried in her brain somewhere and it comes out at random moments I thought was a really nice character detail and very funny. I, I like that but it's it's interesting that we're talking about this. I just watched the first episode of Peacekeeper, Peacemaker what is Peacemaker, it? Peacemaker, yeah. right? And literally yeah. the opening scene is like or right before the credits, John Cena the Peacemaker is talking to a janitor and the janitor is like he goes, can I trust you? He goes, no, man, you can't trust me. I went to MIT and I'm a janitor. I have no, you know, use for responsibility. And I thought like within three lines, they had done a more effective take on what you're talking about than this whole movie did. Wow. I mean, I, I think that is a funny joke, but uh, I disagree that the way that they present that in this movie is ineffective. I think it's subtly effective. It's something that maybe doesn't jump out at you immediately, but because it keeps coming up, I feel like it establishes that it's just one as another aspect of her sort of slacker stoner yeah. persona that she, you know, could have been some sort of economist, but instead she's sitting on her couch getting high and trying to and failing to be an actress. Well, I liked it as a character. I, sh I should clarify. I liked it as a character trait. I just didn't think the humor of it was, um, you know, front and center to the point where it worked for me. Yeah. So, well, all right. But it, here's here's the thing that really shocks me, Josh, is like, yeah. you know, you and I, uh, Josh, you on this show have time and again talked about characters that are horrible people and just how awful they are. And it usually makes you dislike that movie or that character. And Jane is a horrible person. She's awful. She goes and she eats her. Uh, she's got like two things to do. Pay the power bill. Don't eat these cupcakes. She eats the cupcakes and doesn't pay the power bill. She's selfish. She screws up everything. She is not a good person. What is it that you like about her other than it's Anna Ferris? Well, uh, two things. One, uh, it's not that I can't enjoy or never like movies where the characters are unlikable. To me, if you have characters that are that unlikable, and unpleasant, you really need to craft something around them that is fascinating to watch. And I feel like a lot of times that doesn't happen because you're sort of fighting an uphill battle on something like that. But there are movies that I love starring characters who are deeply unlikable. I mean, I off the top of my head, I think of Young Adult with Charlize Theron, who plays a horrible, horrible person in that movie, which I think is a brilliant, hilarious film. Um, 
But I would disagree, or at least again, from my perspective on this film, I find Jane extremely likable in this film. And like, yes, she makes very bad decisions a lot of the time, but she's such a pleasant, well-meaning person. And part of the story of this film, why she goes on this odyssey and, and fails in so many ways, is that immediately upon eating those cupcakes of her roommate who she doesn't like and is, as we've established, a skull fucker, um, <laughs> she regrets it and says, I must do everything that I can to replace these cupcakes. And she's insanely stoned, and so she miserably fails at doing that. But one of the things I really like about this movie is the way that it has this sort of sunny outlook that even as Jane you know, gets in deeper and deeper into trouble of her own making, she has this, you know, stoner perspective of like, isn't the world amazing? And that to me is more what the title is about rather than whatever weird stuff uh, Matt mm. cites in the New York Times you was don't talking think it's about. A, it's a subtle representation of Americans as they should be and as they actually are. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I think it's a subtle or not subtle representation of Jane's perspective on life. So so I disagree with your premise there. All right. Well, I disagree with your premise there. All right. Can I throw in the middle of you guys there? Yeah, I think please. Part of the charm of this movie, even though I, I didn't like it as much as Josh, is the low stakes of it. And part of that is Adam Brody's like very weak threat to her of what's going to happen if, if she doesn't pay is like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll take your furniture or something. Uh, and and I, I think that that's part of why, even though this character isn't really that of a person i think jason's kind of right she is like very lazy and just not making right choices at all um it kind of doesn't matter because everything in this world is just so low stakes and so low energy and stoned all the time i mean it's not as low stakes as let's go to white castle right so to me i disagree with yeah. you because they're gonna have zero furniture she bought this fancy bed <laughs> right and they're they're gonna have no power in the house and she's probably going to get kicked out. And she screwed up this dude's, uh, you know, LARPing science fun, you know, stoner cupcake. So I think the stakes are a little higher than you say, Dave. But um, okay, yeah, even so, I'm just uh, I'm just wondering, man. It's just, uh, you know, just uh, a lot of issues with this Jane F. She takes advantage of Brevin. She take because he's got an ongoing crush on her. She uh, steals a communist manifesto from a professor for no reason. <laughs> but not on purpose. She just sort of finds herself in possession of it when she's trying to hide from the cops. She never she never says to the professor's mom, hey, I'm not a teaching assistant. This isn't for me. She like just goes along with it. She's a real True. asshole, dude. That's a first that's a first edition communist manifesto. And that guy teaches Marxist studies. Think of what that means to him, Josh. <laughs> That is true. I'm sure the professor was very, very upset with her. So, but I, I, I mean, I'm with you, Dave, in that this is a low stakes story. Like, no, not as low stakes as just like, let's go get food, but sure. certainly not as high stakes as, as uh, yeah, I, I saw this compared to a movie that I don't like, but that I know you do like David, uh, good time, the softy mm -hmm. brothers movie, you know, about someone who keeps screwing up and screwing up sure. more and gets himself in deeper and deeper. But, you know, there's a lot more like, danger to that film and and higher stakes um than and seriousness than there is in this in this film um right. so i i do think the sort of low stakes nature of it or or rather and this is also what happens in Harold and Kumar that what it initially starts with has fairly low stakes even that's just go, let's go to white castle and in the process 
of attempting to accomplish this small task, the stakes get well, bigger and bigger. That that goes back to, I mean, Into the Night, right? And John yeah. Landis and that kind of, not that that was the first ever Into the Night movie, but that's the movie that that genre is kind of uh, based on. And, you know, we talked about super bad, right? Let's go to the party and get beer, same type of thing. But yeah, I don't know. I get, yeah, I, I think, you know, we're, we're saying like for you, it worked for me. It didn't, um, you know, a few other things is like when it started, it was like, let's talk about how we get from A to Z. Right. And how many letters did they actually go through where they gave up on that idea, Josh? I don't know, but that was not my primary concern. But it also wouldn't surprise me if, you know, some obsessive fan who probably doesn't exist to that degree for this film could go through and find all the letters like that were actually there. Okay. It would not surprise me. I'm not saying it's true, but it wouldn't surprise me if it were. I mean, even if it is, it they make it very obvious for A, B, and C, and then it's like a Where's Waldo of letters. So like, is that an effective way to do it if that's the case? I'm just saying like, you know, it gave up on its own premise within the first act. Um, so there are things like that that bothered me. I don't know how you put Jane Lynch in a comedy movie and make her not funny, but they found a way to do it. So just uh, just a miss on a lot of things for me. I mean, Jane Lynch is like you're pointing out about Brian Posehn or Jim Rash. You know, she just has a small function there and she serves the function. They're not it's not a showcase for Jane Lynch. But she's not bad in that role. She's not bad, but everything should be a showcase for Jane Lynch, Josh. (laughs) All right. Um, Also, I mean, from that, that, your point about the A to Z thing, like, yeah, maybe they're not showing you every one of those letters. But to me, I didn't even notice the B and C. So, um, you know, those are probably, you know, a little more subtle as well. To me, the point wasn't that, hey, we're going to show you a whole alphabet of letters, but that this is a long journey. We're going from point A to point Z. It's going to be this big odyssey, and we're preparing you for that. Hey, so, Dave, did you notice B and C before you got lost in there? No, not really. But I, I also, like, kind of thought, and maybe this is giving it a little too much credit, but I kind of thought this is like, yeah, behind the scenes, this is lazy and stonery too. You know, <laughs> maybe. But again, I, I so the I filmmakers like, didn't try, and that gets credit. You're giving it credit. Yes, for that. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, see, I feel like one of the things about this and 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 other movies, like good stoner movies, is that the filmmakers do try. Is that you can tell that there's a lot of thought and cleverness and structure in these movies about people who have none of those things. And that goes for this movie. And that goes for at least the first and third Harold and Kumar movies. And some of the other stuff that I mentioned, you know, Richard Linklater is certainly a filmmaker with plenty of attention to detail. Um, So I, I, I think that that's hopefully not the case here. I think that these are (laughs) filmmakers who did pay attention to what they were doing. I mean, it just to me, doesn't, doesn't belong in the same category as those movies, you know, Days and Confused is one of my favorite movies of all time. You know, we talked about Super Bad, how much I like that, and even Super Troopers. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, it's just a matter of taste. And uh, like, you know, we agree on Anna Ferris, So that's something, right? That is something. What did you What did you think about Roscoe Lee Brown, Jason? I like I that. Like that's, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I remember him from the Cosby show. And it was, of course, you know, now he's famous again. But it was fun seeing William Zapka at the end as the prison guard, you know. Uh, Ross Lee Brown. It's interesting because they they shine such a light on it in the same way that um, Harold and Kumar did Neil Patrick Harris, right? Um, I like Roscoe Lee Brown as the narrator, but I don't think it was as effective as the usage of NPH was in Harold and Kumar. 
Yeah, well, it's much less extensive. I mean, NPH, especially as that became a franchise, he was like a central character in the ongoing saga of Harold and Kumar. But uh, yeah, I like that Roscoe Lee Brown. And he's someone who's famous, but not that famous. And the idea that this stoner would pick that guy as the guy that she's like, whoa, Roscoe Lee Brown, like was just such a weird, random choice. And I don't know if that's something that was you know, written into the script and then they recruited him or it was, it could have been any number of people and that was who they got. But either way, I felt like it worked with her character. I'll tell you what I thought worked was um, where they're in that kind of slaughterhouse and she's giving this speech on like unions and workers' rights and everything. And she gives like a very kind of uh, detailed intelligence speech. And then it says, but what she really said, and it was, you know, stoner gibberish nonsense. I wanted to see more humor like that. I do. I like that moment too. And I feel like there's a lot of moments that are commentary like that, you know, text on screen and stuff like that. And there's another very similar moment where she's writing her new uh, to-do list or whatever on the side of the box as she's in the the truck on the way to the meatpacking plant. And it's this very detailed plan. And then you cut to the a shot of what she wrote and it's just scribbles on the side mm. of the box. And that's, you know, that's a similar joke there. So I clearly am not going to convince you uh, that this is a good movie, Jason. So uh, we probably should just uh, rate this one and move on. Sure. We can rate it out of five uh, weed enhanced cupcakes, shall we say? Why not? Jane mm-hmm. eats more than five of those. So I, I'll give it two and a half, Josh. I'll, I'll be yeah. I'll be generous and give it that extra half a cupcake for you. Uh, oh, yeah, you. Anna Ferris is good. It's not too long. Some fun little supporting stuff overall. It just doesn't come together for me. No, and that's fine. I am going to give it four cupcakes out of five. That's insane. I think this movie is really good. <laughs> and... And again, I like, honestly, I was watching this and it is, it's very short. As you pointed out, I was watching this. And as I got to the end, I was like, I could start this over right now and enjoy it again. Not that I did that, which, you know, I didn't, but, but it just, it's a, like a kind of a comfort movie for me. Really, Josh, you're blowing my mind right now, man. <laughs> Dave, uh, how would you rate this one? I'm going three and a half from me. Three All right. Cupcakes. Yeah. So, what is thank you, Dave. What is going on on this show today? Where where <laughs> am I? What Twilight Bizarro World awesome movie or episode am I in right now? <laughs> we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of Smiley Face. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our special 10th retrospective season, we are back in 2007 talking about my pick, Smiley Face. And because this movie was, as we've said, really a giant failure upon its release, it didn't have a huge legacy, uh, at least initially, on its own. I, I do think that it's become more appreciated as part of the sort of stoner canon alongside a lot of the movies that we have been mentioning um, and in a general critical sense. But Jason, you are right that compared to something like Super Troopers that built that following, this is it's not on that level. It's definitely a level below that. That's right, Josh. It's a level below that, at least. <laughs> um, and, and Greg Araki has had kind of a weird uh, career is subsequent to this film. Uh, as, as we said, this was his follow-up to Mysterious Skin, which was 
uh, hugely acclaimed and was kind of a breakout for him beyond the world of, of indie films. Lots of uh, award nominations, also a big breakout for Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And then he follows it up with this movie that could not be more different. Uh, and since then, he's not been that prolific as a filmmaker. Uh, he returned to kind of his outrageous roots with a movie called Kaboom, which I have not seen, uh, and also returned to the more serious prestige mode of Mysterious Skin with White Bird in a Blizzard with Shailene Woodley from 2014, which is not great. Uh, and that's yeah, actually- People don't really like that one. Yeah, it was, it was a movie that uh, seemed like that was what was the real follow-up, you know, to Mysterious Skin with another serious story based on a novel about, you know, trauma and abuse. And it didn't really hit. Uh, and that was the last movie he made eight years ago. He created a Stars TV series called Now Apocalypse, which was also more similar to his early work that got canceled after a single season. And I reviewed that and watched maybe four or five episodes or something. and was not was not a fan of that. And uh, nobody really watched that. And and he's since he's been working in TV, doing, you know, directing on some TV shows um, just for hire. So it seems like in a way he's primed for a comeback, uh, you know, especially as those early films, the new queer cinema stuff, I feel like just keeps growing in reputation for him to return maybe to something like that, people would be open to it. I think so. It's also interesting if you read about his personal life because of the backlash against him because he identified as gay and then he was partners with Kathleen Roberts and the actress for so many years and there was like a backlash from the gay community against him and he said basically like, yeah, I guess I can't, I don't identify as anything at this point, but you know, it's, can we just let the dude do whatever he wants. And as long as he's doing it consensually without hurting anyone, you know, and not worry about it. So. Right. No, totally. And I think maybe that's another thing where that idea of being, you know, fluid and not labeling and following your personal feelings or whatever is a lot more accepted now than maybe it was at the time when he was seen as this, like, you know, one of the few like major filmmakers who was out and, you know, vocal about it. And that was seen almost like, I guess, as a betrayal by some people. And it's funny if you look at these supporting players, right? At the time, probably the most famous were Danny Masterson and Adam Brody. And now, you know, it's gone completely the other way. John Tro, Jan Danny Trejo, Jane Lynch, John Krasinski, all very famous at this point. Adam Brody, we know Dave loves the kid detective and uh, is working. Danny Masterson, not so much. Yeah, let's yeah. let's not talk about Danny Masterson. <laughs> but um, uh, John Krasinski was on The Office at this time, so he was, you know, getting a, a known, getting, yeah. yeah, getting there. And and John Cho too. This was after the first Harold and Kumar movie. It was in between the first two. So you know, both of them kind of building towards where they are now, not nearly at that level. And of course, Krasinski now is a director and like an action star, which is, it's still weird to me that, that John Krasinski became an action star and, uh, and John Cho, you know, as a, as a big star, Cowboy Bebop and all that stuff. So we should also shout out our uh, fellow Las Vegas uh, Carrot Top for his quick like, two uh, second cameo. cameo. Yeah. Well, Josh, as you know, I'm a big uh, Cobra Kai fan. So the William Zapka thing, which was probably like a throwaway back then, you know, is nice. And uh, Jane Lynch has five Emmys. Did you know that? Are they all for Glee? 
I don't know. I mean, uh, could some be for uh, maybe for Party Down or Hollywood Game Night as a host or something like that? Yeah, so. I don't know if Party Down got any Emmy attention. Uh, unfortunately, it should have. But yeah, it's possible she got a hosting thing for that game show or something. But she deserves Emmys. Although she, I mean, you were saying that like everything should be a showcase for Jane Lynch. And I think Jane Lynch is great. But Glee uh, proved that everything should not be a showcase for Jane Lynch because they, you know, when her character was a breakout, they just gave her more and more ridiculous over the top stuff to do. And it completely fell. Uh, well, OK, so, I, you know, I meant I didn't mean she should be the star on screen of everything. But I do think like if you give her like I still love role models, everything she did in that movie is hilarious. And in Party Down that she's a. That's the biggest difference, right, between the two seasons is we lose Jane Lynch from season one to season two. No offense, Megan Mullally, but you're not Jane Lynch, you know? So, Josh, Anna Ferris, what do you think she does from here? Because uh, mom was successful. She's a very successful voice actor. Probably the days of her, of you know, starring leading lady stuff. Probably not in the cards in Hollywood anymore. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. She's had a weird career where, like you said, at this time, it seemed like she was going to be this big comedy star. And another movie that she did soon after this called The House Bunny, which I think she's really she's funny. funny. In. She's great in that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then it just didn't kind of get to that next level. And and like you said, she did Mom, the sitcom, which she was on for like seven seasons or something. And I'm sure she got a lot of money and that was a very successful show. But she ended that. Like she left before the show ended and I think her character had gotten kind of increasingly marginalized and it seemed like she was not particularly happy with being on that show toward the end. And, and when the show itself ended and had a big finale, like a season or two later, she didn't even return. So it seemed like there was kind of a, a not great ending to her time on that show. And from here, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I could see her starring in like maybe a, you know, cable or streaming comedy that allows her to have more range than a, uh, you know, a network three camera sitcom. Although there was a lot of dramatic stuff in mom. Um, but I don't think she's ever going to be that big star that she looked like she could have, been. you know, we mentioned Jane Lynch as the host of Hollywood game. Night. I think Anna Ferris would be a great game show host. Yeah, she absolutely could be. And I think she has some like lifestyle brand stuff that she does as so many, uh, actors do these days. And, uh, you know, I'm sure she's doing fine again, especially if, if nothing else, all the residuals from mom are going to, you know, set her where she can just do whatever yeah. she wants for and the that, rest of her uh, career. Chris Pratt divorce money. <laughs> possibly that, possibly that as well. What about this weekend? We've got the big scream requel out in theaters. We could get a scary movie requel to capitalize oh, on that. Yeah, that's possible. I, you know, to be fair, I have not seen any of the scary movie movies. Although Dave, that seems like your kind of thing. The first one is straight up great. I will stand up for it all the way, but the others. Can I so tell much. you guys a hilarious story about scary movie that is only like, sideways adjacent to this episode really not at all right sure. uh, but yeah the first one is very funny and there's a scene in it where Anna Ferris is having she's riding a dude I forget who it is and he climaxes and he climaxes in such a way that it's like a, a geyser right like and she gets like she gets shot off into the ceiling right and a friend of mine who saw it, who was uh, a virgin in his 20s, uh, saw it with his mom. And while they watched it, his mom looked over to him and said, that's going to be you one day. Oh, jeez. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, I hope that guy wasn't like traumatized and eventually, you know, I, I was able to have a healthy sex. I hope so too. I mean, you know, and I'm not, I'm not uh, knocking him for being a virgin in his twenties, but it must be not fun to have your mom be like, "That's going to be you when you finally fuck," you know? So. Yeah, that's not a thing to say to your kid. Definitely not. Yeah, it probably doesn't help. So no. Well, that's a great uh, note there to end on. Unless, uh, do you want to say anything else about the legacy of this film, Jason? Uh, I do think that this genre is definitely a fun genre that um, deserves more stuff coming out in it, especially now we want all the comedies we can get. And I think we named some great ones, Josh. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel like with marijuana becoming more you know, legalized and accepted generally that maybe that will uh, allow for more of these comedies to be made and reach uh, mainstream audiences. Josh, you know, do you think it's weird that Dylan Haggerty, the writer, didn't go on to anything else? I mean, he got, there were enough good reviews here, right? And he was working yeah, with that, a prestigious filmmaker. Right. And I don't know the story behind it. That Yeah, that is one thing that we, we didn't mention there. I mean, his credits on IMDb post 2007 are almost entirely non-existent. Looked like he was a writer on Adventure Time, the animated series. He's got a couple episode credits for that. And randomly was a producer on the Luc Besson movie, Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. I don't know how that happened. So, I mean, those credits are so unrelated that it, there's got to be some sort of, you know, behind the scenes story. And, and, you know, Jason, as you know, it's possible in Hollywood as a screenwriter to be working and have no credits. It's possible that he's written and even sold multiple scripts since 2007 that just were never made. And I don't know. He's no Julie Haggerty. No, <laughs> no relation there. Spelled differently also. But Julie Haggerty, very funny. So All right. we'll leave it there. That is Smiley Face, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Follow us on social media. Follow us on social media. I'm Jason Harris Comedy or J. Harris Comedy on all the socials. Uh, my website, goforjason.com, was flushed down the toilet like government weed was in this movie. We're at awesomemovieyear.com and Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I am at joshbellhateseverything.com, where you can read uh, from some number of years ago my pick for this movie as my number one first-time watch of previous years uh, from whenever it was that I first saw it. Uh, Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at Piecing Pod and check out our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where I'm really, really curious as to whether we've got some fans of this movie. I'm sure there's at least one. And yeah. also in that group, I'd love to know what movies they would want us to have covered from these years that we haven't in this retrospective. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. We like your feedback. Or what's your favorite stoner movie? Yeah. Give us all the feedback. So much feedback. Yeah. What are we talking about in our next episode, Jason? Josh, did you know that Awesome Movie Year is a podcast about movies? I had heard that. So we're going to talk about a movie that loves movies. It's our foreign film pick. It's from 1989. It's the Italian film that won the Oscar for Best Foreign Feature of 1990, if I'm not mistaken. It's called Cinema Paradiso. So tune in next time for Jason's awesome Italian accent. Cinema and... Paradiso. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. 
Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.